0: So I now invite Pastor Frank the forward this morning to bring us a message from the Word of God. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hope you'll bear with me this morning. Uh, as I was getting dressed, I did something to my shoulder and uh, hurt my rotator cuff, so I, <laughs> I'm in a little, little pain this morning, but uh, God is good and sees us through, so pray for me. Um, I'll read the uh, scriptures in the course of my sermon rather than at the beginning. You know, things happen, difficulties happen, and sometimes we ask ourselves, can I really trust God. Uh, Now, of course, as good Presbyterians, we know there isn't anything that happens that doesn't come under his providence, and uh, in some mysterious way, it's all part of a sovereign plan, Uh, but let's be honest, um, there are times that that's not really a comfort to us, (laughs) because we ask why, and we don't understand why things happened. There are people who we love and care for and we want to see them come to faith. Maybe you've got a child or a brother or a sister or a parent or maybe a community of people that you'd love to see to come to faith and uh, they're not. And it's particularly hard if you have uh, a child who isn't a believer, contrary to your hopes and prayers. I know a Christian leader Uh, Has passed away at this point, but one of the godliest men I've ever met in my whole life. Um, You'd almost think he was walking a foot off the ground at all times. Uh, He was so close to the Lord and uh, so Christ-like. Honestly, uh, somebody I uh, knew personally and admired and uh, knew of his uh, great love for the Lord and his humility in it as well. Um, But he was uh, distressed for many years because uh, one of his children was not a believer and it grieved him uh, terribly and he even said one time in uh, a, a moment of discouragement, if I had known one of my children would grow up and not believe, I wouldn't have gotten married and had children. I'm sure he repented of that, uh, but that's the way he felt in the moment. Uh, he did later regret saying that, but uh, that, was, that was the discouragement he was feeling over this one child who wasn't a believer. And uh, we all want to see people we love, especially our children, uh, know God's wonderful provision of eternal life. And it's hard uh, when they don't. And we, we want to know they will be in God's kingdom with us for all eternity. And it's, it's hard when we face the reality that they may not be believers. And uh, some of us have children who have wandered from the faith. I've talked to so many people and elders and pastors who have children who have wandered from the faith. Uh, some have come back, thank God for that. The question arises: can we really trust our children and our families to God? Uh, Where do we find faith when we're faced with these kinds of things that are very real issues? How can we trust God when things uh, look bleak for those that we love? Today we're going to look at Abraham, and he's the great example of faith. And uh, let's consider what God promised him and how did he experience those promises, uh, and does that have anything to, to teach us? Of course, we know it does. So our first passage is Genesis chapter 12, uh, the initial call of Abraham, Genesis 12:1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. By the way, we often uh, use that word blessing and uh, miss out on the deeper meaning of it. I may have mentioned this here once before in a sermon, I don't know, but... You know, something nice happens and you say, what a blessing. Uh, But you're you're really misunderstanding uh, the depth of that word if you use it that way. Because when God created mankind, he created them under blessing. They were in a right relationship with him. Um, he was smiling upon his children. Um, they, they were in a perfect relationship with each other and with God and with their environment and so on. They had life. They had the tree of life. Uh, there was no death. And then they sinned and came under the curse. The curse is the opposite of the blessing, you see. And so when God calls Abraham and says, you will be a blessing and I will bless you, and you're, uh, you will be a blessing to all the nations on earth... He's talking about overturning the curse of the fall. Not just, you know, something nice is going to happen to you and you're going to say, what a blessing. No, that blessing is a much deeper thing than that. So God calls Abram and tells him that he will be a blessing and through him will people of all nations be blessed. He was called to leave his country and to leave his kindred and go someplace That he would be told later. He didn't know where he was going. He was just called to leave. In return for trusting God in this way, God would make his name great and make a great nation from Abram. And his blessing would go to all peoples. So in leaving his family and country, he would be the head of a great family and bring a blessing to nations on earth of all sorts of people. And he would found a new country, as we know. The next uh, significant passage calling Abraham is in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That would have been a servant in his house, which was the... Uh, practice in those days, if you didn't have a child, then your heir might be um, uh, a servant in your household. That's who Eleazar of Damascus is. I don't think we hear anything of him after this. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man should not be your heir, for your son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And God confirmed his promises to Abraham by cutting a covenant with him, and he swore to him an oath symbolically by walking between two halves of animals cut in pieces, that was the, uh, the, the custom of that day. And in this passage, we see some of the same things. One new thing that is seen is that the heir will be Abraham's own son. And he will bring him millions of heirs. And of course, the wonderful thing here is that Abraham was justified through faith. Because you've believed God. Something else is clear here, uh, or rather is not quite as clear here, and that's in uh, 15.1 when God calls Abram and he says, I am your shield, your reward very great. That's kind of a literal translation of the Hebrew. And it can mean your reward shall be very great, or perhaps a better reading is, I am your shield and your very great reward. God himself, you see was Abraham's very great reward. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And by the way, the, the Hebrew there is interesting. Does any, who knows what a goy is? Anybody know what a goy is? Raise your hand. Well, if you don't know, oh, you know. If, if you don't know what a goy is, you probably are one. Uh, <laughs> a goy means a Gentile. And so, and goyim is a collective noun for Gentiles in general. And uh, it's not always used in a positive way. Um, You know, if Jewish people say the Goyim, they mean all those people that aren't Jews. But here it says, Abraham literally will be a father of a multitude of Goyim. Uh, That's the word we translate nations. So that's interesting there. Um, No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Avraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." So his name goes from being exalted father to uh, father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And nations shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. And you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants. And I will give to you and all your descendants after you. The land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, will be their God. So here we see some of the same elements reiterated again. God has a covenant with Abram. His new name is Abraham, not exalted father, but father of a multitude. Father of a multitude of Goyim, actually. Father of many nations. And he'll be given the land of Canaan. And of course we know the story, God had a son uh, with, uh, Abraham had a son with Sarah, and Abraham began to see the fulfillment of the promises that God made to him. Here at last, he had a son in his old age, miraculously born. And then Abraham was called to offer Isaac in a sacrifice. He took him up to Mount Moriah and bound him and was about to sacrifice this son, who was the fulfillment of the promise. God stopped him, though. Genesis twenty-two fifteen, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as of the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your descendants shall all nations of the earth bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. So again, Abram, now he's Abraham has to trust God and not really know where things are going and how things are going to end up. He he left uh, or of the Chaldees, not knowing where he was going to end up. And he's given this promise that he's going to have a son through whom blessing will come, and then he's called to sacrifice the son. And again, he goes up and is willing to sacrifice Isaac, even though he doesn't quite understand, I think, how it all turns out. By the way, uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, Paul says that, figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead. Uh, Paul probably here is reflecting Jewish tradition. In Jewish tradition, um, I'm not saying this is what happened, but in Jewish tradition, uh, Isaac's soul actually left his body and then came back, and that's the... That's the explanation of uh, what was going on here. And Paul seems to reflect that. He says that figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead because he was willing to sacrifice his only son. And he was told his descendants would be in the millions, more than the stars, more than the sand of the seashore, and that he would be victorious over his enemies. So you have these promises here. Great blessing an heir, millions of descendants, blessing to come to all families of the earth through him, a promised land, victory over his foes, and he'd be counted righteous before God through faith. God himself will be with Abraham and be his very great reward. Now, those are wonderful things. What can we say about Abraham's direct Personal experience of these promises. Well, he did finally have an heir, Isaac. It took a while, uh, but he did finally uh, see the beginning of the promises and having that child. He was given the first promise when he was 75 years old, we're told. And when Abraham was about 85, God spoke to him again. And cut that covenant uh, of of walking between the pieces. And by the way, that was an ancient Near Eastern custom when you made a covenant. Um, you, You cut animals in pieces and you walked between them. And you said, may this happen to me. May I be cut in pieces if I don't keep my promise to you. And you would swear an oath. And it's interesting, we see in Genesis... God walked between the pieces, represented as a smoking fire pot. Uh, this was a representation of God cutting the covenant. Abraham didn't walk between the pieces. God made the promise. Of course, God can't die. God can't be cut in pieces. So it was a it was a promise that could absolutely be trusted. And so uh, took a while for God to uh, cut that covenant. And a year or so later, um, Abraham had Ishmael through Hagar. But uh, when he was 99, then Abraham was circumcised. That's rather late in life. And then when he was 100, he finally had Isaac through Sarah. So it's 25 years that it's taken for Abraham to see the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to him. 25 years of waiting. And when he was about 137, he finally bought a field of land in Canaan in order to bury Sarah. And when he was 160, he had grandsons Jacob and Esau. And then he died at 175, so... (laughs) A hundred years after the initial promise, he finally then saw his grandsons, Jacob and Esau. Did he experience all the promises God gave him? Well, hardly. He didn't really have the land. He he only had a few descendants. He had a couple of grandchildren before he died. Uh, He did not see millions of descendants. He didn't see blessing come to all the families on earth. He did see some victory over his foes. He did get a little corner of the promised land, a field and a cave. The point is that I'm trying to make is that he did not see in his own lifetime the fulfillment of the promises God had made to him. He saw a little bit of it, but he didn't see by any means all that God had promised. Actually, he saw very little of it. From a worldly point of view... You know, he had a couple children by a couple of different wives. Uh, He obtained a field and a cave, and uh, that's about it. Not, Not much to look at from a worldly point of view. He had some worldly blessings. He was a wealthy man. He had flocks and servants and so on. He had success against his enemies. But he didn't live to see or experience most of what God had promised him. Now, have those promises worked out in history? Well, Israel eventually grew in size during the 400 years they were in Egypt. And when they came out, they were a great nation. And uh, the land promised was gained almost 1,000 years later under King David. Finally, finally under David, the land was conquered, and, um, and they had it. It took a while. Eventually, the land was gained. Certainly, Abraham's name became very great. The Jewish people have survived all these thousands of years and are still uh, very much in the center of what's going on on Earth as recent developments have shown us. Jonathan Edwards, by the way, the great theologian, great reformed theologian, has said that the remarkable preservation of the Jewish people is a great evidence for the existence of God. And he said this, Nothing is more certainly foretold than a national conversion of the Jews in Romans 11. By the way, recently I've had some interaction with some of my fellow uh, Reformed preachers on Facebook and so on. And I've seen people very anxious to establish the church is uh, the true Israel. Um, I believe that. I believe that all believers... Because we're in Christ, and Christ is the true Israel. He's the real true Israel. Uh, the book of Galatians says that he alone is the heir of all the promises. And in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says when Jesus came out of Egypt, uh, that fulfilled the prophecy, out of Egypt I've called my son, which is originally a prophecy of the calling of the nation of Israel. So Jesus is the true Israel. And if we're in him, you see, we are, spiritually speaking, members of the commonwealth of Israel. We're told that in Ephesians and in other places. So we are, truly speaking, Abraham's descendants, members of the commonwealth of Israel. If we're in Christ, who is the true Israel, we're in him. However, you do have Romans 9 through 11... That indicates there will always be a remnant of Jews who believe. And in Romans 11 it says, even though they are enemies of the gospel for your sake, as far as the election is concerned, they are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs because the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. So I would argue that while we are absolutely all children of Abraham by faith and spiritually speaking Israel, It seems that God has also said, well, but there will always be some Jews who believe in Jesus, uh, and I'll bring revival. But the thing that's bothered me lately is I've seen Reformed theologians who I agree with, 99.9%, but they're bringing a polemic against the false view of Israel, and they don't say anything about the horrible massacres that have taken place. And to me, that's highly insensitive. (laughs) If you just put a polemic out there against false theology regarding Israel, and you don't say anything like, but even that being said, it's so awful what's happened recently to this people who have been persecuted for the last 2,000 years. Um, At least add that in and say, how terrible is this massacre that's happened? So uh, you have this, These prophecies given to Abraham, and you have uh, the promise uh, of Jews being called to the gospel. And um, I'd say there's a a continuous miracle, I agree with Jonathan Edwards on this, that the Jewish people being preserved for all this time is, is, is a sign of God's faithfulness. Um, Now what about the millions and millions of descendants that Abraham was promised and the blessing to all the families of the earth? Well, clearly, uh, with the coming of the Messiah, these promises became a little bit clearer as to what they meant. Just as Abraham was justified through faith in in the ultimate seed and heir of Abraham, Jesus, blessings have come to the world through him. And salvation through faith has come through him as it came to Abraham. And millions worldwide, as we know, and we're among them, have had their sins forgiven and have come under God's blessing. Have had the curse, you see, removed and blessing restored because of the cross of Christ and the payment for sin that he made. And indeed, Abraham has become the father of millions and millions of GoYim. Millions and millions of Gentiles of all nations. And God has not forgotten Abraham's physical descendants, I would argue. Throughout all of history, you know, there have always been Jews who believed in Jesus. Even, even at the worst times during the Middle Ages. Even under the popes and, and, and these dark times. Um, There were Jews that came to faith in Jesus. One was a great um, uh, Rabbi Solomon Halevi. He came to faith through uh, the reading uh, Thomas Aquinas, Catholic theologian, and he became a bishop and he preached to his own people, and thousands of Jews in Spain came to believe through his ministry. Uh, He wasn't perfect. He did some things we would have some problems with, but the the fact is, he was, I believe, a true believer uh, back in the uh, 1400s in Spain. During the Reformation, the, uh, a lot of people don't know, there was a Jewish reformer named Tremelius. And uh, <coughs> Tramelius came to faith. He was a Hebrewist, and he taught um, uh, Hebrew, and uh, even put together a confession of faith in Hebrew, which is interesting. Um, In the early part of this country, in New England, uh, Cotton and Increase Mather prayed fervently uh, to see Jews come to faith. They didn't know any Jews, but they were praying that Jews would come to faith. And along came a a scholar, uh, probably most people believe he was a rabbi named Judah Monas. And uh, Judah Monas came to faith in answer to the prayers of Cotton and Increase Mather and he ended up teaching Hebrew uh, to Puritan ministers in New England. And even now in Israel today, there are more Jewish believers and congregations of Jewish believers now than there have been since the first century. There's still a long way to go. It's still a very small uh, percentage-wise, a very small number of the Israeli population. But there are Jews who believe in Jesus, in Israel, and by the way, I just heard recently there are about 400 Jewish believers in Jesus, Messianic Jews, Jewish Christians, whatever term you want to use, fighting right now in the IDF. As a matter of fact, I know one. Uh, the, the, um, the daughter of a friend of mine uh, is serving in uh, the north of Israel uh, in the Israeli Defense Forces. Her, her name is Lana. You might pray for Lana's uh, safety there. So she's one of at least 400 uh, Jewish believers in Jesus that right now serving in the Israeli military. And so there's always been a remnant of Jews who believe, and I believe that's a sign of God's faithfulness. How amazing (laughs) that, along with all the Gentiles like us, that God has brought to be children of Abraham by faith, God has also preserved a remnant of Jews who believe throughout the whole history of the church. There's always been Jews who have believed in Jesus, and that's a sign of God's faithfulness. I believe God will bring a future restoration of the Jewish people to faith, but even if you don't, the fact that there has always been some that have believed at every point in history, I think, is a miraculous thing, and Shows God's faithfulness to his promises. I think we see his faithfulness in the preservation of the Jewish people, the calling of the Gentiles to faith, you see, that's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. You're a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his faithfulness to Abraham. The remnant of the Jews who believe, that's a sign of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful all his promises to Abraham even if Abraham didn't see them all in his lifetime what did he see a couple of kids a couple of grandkids a little plot of land that he buried his wife on but yet God has fulfilled these promises to Abraham in a tremendous way if you look at the broad sweep of history now what about you <clears throat> what about your own family What if you're struggling with a child or another family member, maybe a parent or a brother or sister, uh, who doesn't believe or has gone astray? Is it guaranteed that a particular loved one will be saved? Well, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Uh, Yet, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. That's a hard statement. I can't sugarcoat it. But I think God is faithful to his promises, and I think we should be expected that our children will be saved. I think we cannot be presumptuous, neither should they, but I think we can continually pray for them knowing that God is faithful, knowing that we can trust them, we should be encouraged. And God tends to work in families and people groups and we saw that he promised millions will come to faith, be children of Abraham by faith and be blessed through him. And he's done that throughout history so I think we should uh, pray with encouragement for our own children and loved ones. Now early on at the beginning I spoke of uh, this Christian leader, this very, very godly Christian man. Uh, who were despaired over the lostness of one of his children. Now, that particular child had confessed faith at the age of 15 at a Christian summer camp and then after just three or four weeks of trying gave up and said it just doesn't work and that daughter rejected the faith and that daughter continued to reject the faith for 45 years. Now, other children in that family believed and followed the Lord. Um, I know one of the sisters very well. That's where I've gotten this story from. But this child continued to reject the faith for 45 years and didn't want to even hear anything about it for 45 years. And can you imagine? Here's this godly man and his wife who loved the Lord teaching theology all over preaching in churches, teaching theology. And for 45 years, he's despairing that his daughter rejected the faith. Then when he was dying in the hospital, people came from his home church and home fellowship, and they gathered around him in the hospital room, and they were singing and they were praying. And right at that moment, in the next room, this daughter who had rejected the faith for 45 years came to faith. And this man died not knowing it, at least not in this world, but I suspect when he went home to be with the Lord, he was notified that that's why angels were rejoicing. She came to faith and had an amazing experience of peace beyond what she could explain. She had rejected the faith for 45 years, but came back on her father's deathbed without him knowing on this earth. You see, we don't know the end of the story. And I know this story to be true because the sister of this woman who denied the faith is a personal friend. And I have checked with her to make sure I had the story right. That's, that's what was related to me. The moral of the story is this. Don't give up on God's promises. Don't give up on your children who have wandered from the faith. Don't be discouraged. God is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to Abraham. It took Abraham a while to see it. Uh, we're still seeing it being worked out in history but we see God's faithfulness to Abraham. He's been faithful to his promises through all generations. He's being faithful to his promises to Abraham today, and he will be faithful to you and faithful to your prayers. Let's uh, close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you indeed are the faithful God who has been faithful to Abraham and to his descendants, both spiritual and physical. And so, Lord, we look to you to be faithful to your promises. We look to you to bring our children, our family members, our neighbors and friends to you. We we cry out to you, and we know that you've promised that Abraham would have descendants greater than the stars of the heaven, greater than the sand on the seashore. And so, Lord, we cry out to you and pray that we might see that ever-expanding kingdom in our lifetimes, and that those we love would come into that kingdom. We thank you that you have uh, preserved the Jewish people in spite of all the persecution. And Lord, even today, there are Jews in Israel who trust in you, and we pray there'd be tremendous revival there among the Jewish people through this terrible time. And we pray for the Palestinian people as well, Lord, (coughs) that many, many would come to you. We pray for the Palestinian believers and the Jewish believers who are in some places worshiping and praying together. What a wonderful thing that is. That's the answer to all the difficulty in the Middle East, is that the children of Abraham, Arabs and Jews, would come to faith and would find their reconciliation in Christ as we found our reconciliation in him as well. And so, Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness and worship you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.